Hey everyone, and welcome to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. This is John Gunter, the preaching minister here at our church. This week we're in chapter three of the story. We're talking about the story of Joseph. Joseph has a very interesting life, if I do say so myself. Uh, It's one of those things I enjoy reading, but man, I'm glad I didn't have to live it. (laughs) At least a lot of a lot of his life. But anyway, this week we study uh, about Joseph and really focus on his attitude. Joseph is able to live through all the things he lives through. And at the end of it, gives glory to God. What a, what a great lesson for all of us. So again, we thank you for listening and hope you'll come by our church anytime you get the chance. Have a great day. For you, why it says could, because that's what the author wrote. <laughs> and we changed it immediately. Uh, I talked to Shane Kaufman who arranged that and uh, he said, as soon as I got it arranged, my kids in the youth group told me it was wrong <laughs> because they were already singing it a different way, even though that's how the, uh, the author wrote that. So we're just rebels. That's what we are. Um, <laughs> you know, we just love change in church, and so we just we just not going to do it that way, right? Uh, again, glad to be here with you this morning as we uh, go through our study of the story. I hope you've been uh, involved in this. I hope you've been reading to your children or your grandchildren, getting the whole family involved. Uh, we have and have really, really enjoyed it. And it's interesting to get our, our kids' feedback. So uh, if you're not reading this, you need to. You need to read to your kids out loud and, and do all of these things. And again, as we've said uh, several weeks in a row now, and I probably won't mention it again, but of course this doesn't cover the whole of Scripture, does it? This is a compressed version as we try to look at the whole overarching story of what God is doing and what I've encouraged you to do and what uh, Mr. Frazee encourages you to do in the book is if you think, man, I, I wish we had all the details. Well, read your Bible. <laughs> Pull it out and read that nobody's stopping you. We want you to do that. But this gives us something that we're all together in uh, each and every week, just like you probably don't sit down and read Leviticus to your kids every night, right? <laughs> or Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Uh, if you know what's going on there, let's see who's smiling because you've read your Bible before. Uh, this is a, a compressed version, so and they do a great job. So let me just encourage you to get involved, and I promise you, your preacher won't forget two weeks in a row to bring the books. And actually, I know a couple people that need books. If you want to swing by my house right after worship, I can give those to you if you need those this week, uh, so we can get those to you. This week, we talk about the story of Joseph. Joseph's story is like something straight out of Hollywood, is it not? I mean, I don't know how many movies take kind of the same uh, ebbs and flows that the story of Joseph does. It's a story of love. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of even human trafficking. It's a story of wrongful conviction, and it's ultimately a story of redemption. And wow, what a ride it is. So just quickly, uh, even though I I hope most of you have read this this week, uh, let's talk uh, shortly about Joseph's story. So uh, the story of Joseph begins by talking about how he's got so many brothers, and Joseph seems to be the favorite. His father even gives him this, this coat and whether the translation is of many colors or long sleeves or something was special about this 
coat that he gives his son. Now, I know none of y'all, y'all, we're in Texas, right? I know none of y'all have a favorite kid, right? None of you have a preference. But whatever the reason was, his brothers even felt like Joseph was the favorite. So he's given these gifts, and he even has received gifts from the Lord in the way that he can interpret dreams. And Joseph, just like the annoying little brother he is, walks around talking to his brothers about these dreams. What do you think it means when these things are bowing down to this? And even they thought, what Joseph is trying to say is that he's going to be over us, and I don't like that. As an older brother myself, I would not like that, would you? But Joseph, of course, shares these dreams as a maybe he's young and naive and doesn't think much will come of it, but in, in their minds, they are beginning to hate their brother. In fact, as their father sends him out to check on the older brothers, they conceive of a plan, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they thought about killing him, and then all of a sudden, Reuben decides, no, we can't kill him, but what we'll do is we'll put him down this well. Well, what's that going to end up doing? What they end up doing is deciding we'll trade him away, we'll get something for him, and then we'll just act like he has been killed. So they, they take this special coat and they dip it in this blood and make it look like he has been torn apart by animals. And so Joseph is sold into slavery. And by the way, did you catch that he was actually sold to distant cousins, Ishmaelites, which is interesting in and of itself. But Joseph, as he goes into slavery, is actually sold into a very prominent man's household. The, the man name is, man's name is Potiphar. And Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. Joseph shows himself to be a very uh, upstanding person to where Potiphar trusts him. Until one day, Potiphar's wife, as it said, looked on Joseph and thought he was good looking. Hello there, good looking. <laughs> looking right at you, Jordan. <laughs> Wanted to see who would, who would respond to that, yeah. But Joseph does not respond positively to her advances because he is an upstanding person and says, you are married, I, uh, uh. I'm not having anything to do with this. And what we know in life is that good things always happen when you do the right thing, right? <laughs> what she does is she reports Joseph and he ran out of there as quick as he can. He leaves a garment there. And what she says is, well, he came on to me and is ultimately put in jail for something he did not do. Well, in prison, Joseph moped, no, Joseph became kind of a, this upstanding prisoner, and is put in, he's put in charge of all the prisoners. And then finally, uh, he's shown to have, again, this gift of interpreting dreams, and he does so for two of his fellow prisoners. He does so even for the Pharaoh, and is released and ends up at the end of his, kind of towards the end of his story, becoming friends with the Pharaoh and put over everything the Pharaoh does. It even says that Pharaoh gives him his ring. That was one of my, the questions my kids had. What does that mean? If you don't know what that means, and actually we found uh, some of these rings, but basically when they would write a letter, they would seal it. They would take some wax, uh, hot wax, put it on the back of the envelope, 
and they would have a signet ring that would have the information of who, who it belonged to, and they would stamp that. So when it dried, it would say, this is from the desk of the Pharaoh, right? And so that's exactly the power that Joseph had, that he was given the ring to say, if I said it, Pharaoh said it. And so you think, man, what, a, what an awesome life. But then you look back and see all the ways that it went south. Joseph's story kind of ends in what we talked about this week with uh, this great famine that he interpreted in the Pharaoh's dreams. Remember, he had seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And Evan looked at me and said, it does not say that. <laughs> Sometimes I'll just go off, like I'll, I'll go off from the story just to see if they're paying attention. I'll, I'll maybe include something about our family or something, who knows. And Evan looked up, he said, that doesn't say that. I said, it does. And so the interpretation of that dream was, we're going to have seven great years of lots of food, and, you know, we could sit and party and celebrate all the time, but that's going to be followed by seven years where we don't have anything. So what you need to do is store up in those years that we have plenty and extra because we're going to need it. And that's exactly what happens, and, and luckily, because Joseph has that dream and interprets it, that they have enough. And that's exactly what sends his brothers who sold him into slavery to come calling. Joseph sees his brothers, and of course, you, you know the story. He kind of messes with them just a little bit. He, he finds out about Benjamin. He finds out that his father's still alive. And finally, he reveals himself to be their brother. I want to talk a little bit about Joseph's life. What would you think that the defining moment of Joseph's life would be if he were to say what it was? What would you think, if I gave you a few minutes to think about it, what, were the, what are the defining moments of your life? It's interesting to think about. Because we can go a lot of different ways with different things that happen in our life. What I, uh, I shared in class this morning, there are a couple of different things that I think about. The one that stands out, um, well, I'll just say this, because I told Katie that this week. I said, uh, aren't you glad that your, your husband did not study when he first went to school? Now, I've bragged to you guys before. I got my first four-year degree in only five and a half years. <laughs> and what happened was, uh, even a, a hard decision for me to move back to my hometown because I, I come from a town of 1,200 people, not really a uh, metropolis of, you know, um, technology jobs everywhere. I got lucky, I felt like, and got a job where I could work in my hometown. And within the week or two, I met Katie. I think about, man, aren't you lucky? And she laughs and laughs. But I also think about a time in our lives where Katie, you know, Katie's younger than me, and uh, she graduated in January or in December and started her job in January. And her first day of work, she was going to drive an hour one way to work. Her first day of work, she totals her car. I talked to her, oh, 45 minutes in, and she calls me within about 10 minutes after that. And I thought, that's interesting. Maybe she's just telling me she's there. No, nope. she had hit, and we had some freezing fog that morning, went over a big bridge over a river, 
and just, she had a little Mustang and just kind of pinballed between the guardrails. Thankfully, she didn't have a tall vehicle because the guardrails were way too low for my liking. But in that moment, I thought, we've got to move. I could do that easily. My job could be moved to another office. But I didn't want to do that, right? I had all these ideas about how we would uh, raise a family, would start everything in my hometown right there, close to my family, my parents, my church. But all of a sudden, kind of life was upset, and we moved. And I can see that now, now, as a defining moment in my life, because what it made me do was it pushed me out of my comfort zone of my hometown and my church. It pushed me into a church, which you talk, you've heard me talk about a lot, Walnut Church of Christ in Texarkana, a very loving church where I met so many people. And I was kind of pushed into um, so many things, not pushed into, but uh, allowed to kind of contribute and to get involved with so many things things that really now define me. I started teaching and started preaching because I was at that church and I had the encouragement to do so. But I'll tell you, that morning when Katie called me and said I totaled my car, that's not what I had in mind. And for Joseph, and maybe even for you, you can think about several things in your life that maybe you didn't even want, but now on this side of it, you can point and say, man, those were defining moments in my life. Joseph says this to his brothers. He says in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now that is a powerful, powerful statement for a person to say to someone who sold them into captivity. Can you imagine being confronted with that person who sold you as a slave and saying, you know what? You meant it for harm. God used it for good. What an attitude. And that's what I think about when I think about the story of Joseph is what does my attitude say about my faith? Because those things that happen to us in life, those things that, uh, that come about that maybe those things we don't even want, maybe that, uh, let me just say this, maybe that God doesn't even want. Notice that, that uh, Joseph does not say, God wanted you to do this. God intended it. He used it for good. And I think that's how God works. That God does not send the tornado or the hurricane but when the tornado or the hurricane come, God can bring good out of it. And I think that's how Joseph saw his life, is that Joseph could have seen himself in this very negative light. Woe is me. Yeah, I was raised good. I had a nice father, but I was, so, I was human traffic. I was sold into slavery, and he could have stayed there the rest of his life, and where would he have ended up if his mentality, if his if his uh, viewing of the situation had been that negative, where would he have ended up? What would God have done with him? And I think what you might have seen, if some of us just allowed those negative things to, to just overwhelm us, is you see a guy that kind of rots away kind of being in slavery. And certainly, after 
being in slavery, getting out, and then being wrongly accused and falsely imprisoned. One of my favorite podcasts right now is a, uh, is a podcast called Bone Valley. I highly encourage you to listen to it if you like true crime and things like that. But it is a story of a man who has been falsely accused and imprisoned for years. And you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, he probably did it. He didn't know. There's actually a guy who's also in prison who says he did it and can explain the murder to you. But the district attorney and everyone else says, no, he didn't do it. This guy did. Isn't that interesting? Not only am I in prison, but this other guy tells you he does it, and I still can't get out. And this guy has such a positive attitude that it just kind of throws me. And kind of like Joseph. That Joseph sees in the big scheme of things. And that's, that's kind of the, what this story is about. You've got God's story, the upper story, and you've got the lower story. And Joseph seems to be able to connect the two. Joseph seems to be able to see, okay, here is what God has been doing. Now, I don't think that Joseph is always able to do this. I think it's just like us that on the other side, okay, things start clearing up. I don't think when Joseph went in, he was sold into slavery that he thought, yes, God is working a miracle in me. But I think over time he saw it because his attitude was, okay, well, I'm still going to be this person. I'm I'm still going to be the upright, godly person I was trained to be. I I was taught as a little child. And let's see where that goes. And I think through that, through that positive attitude, God is able to use him in so many ways. Instead of being mired in all the negative things that have happened in his life. I can't for a second imagine the kind of life that Joseph had. To get out, to, to go into slavery, to only to get out, to go into prison falsely, only to get out, okay, We may look at the end of the story and say, man, Joseph had it all. He was the ruler of Egypt. No, he lived a very hard life for a lot of it. And just as we talked about last week, a lot of our faith is day to day in the mundane. It's not a highlight of all these miraculous things. And I'm sure for Joseph, it wasn't day to day. I'm excited that God is doing this in my life, but it's really, okay, God, what are you doing? And that's where we live a lot of times, right? But I think the difference with Joseph and hopefully the difference with us is that when we are in those times that we have a faith that says, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. God, I don't know when this timing is going to work out, but I trust you. And by looking back in our lives, hopefully you, you can see the way that God has pulled you out and pulled you through so many things before. God doesn't just ask us to to blindly trust him with no evidence that he ever helps us. But right now, can you sit here in this seat and look back and see where God has led you through some awful circumstances? Can you, church? And he'll do it again. And I pray that we're the kind of church, we're the kind of people that has an attitude like Joseph that I don't know where this is going and I don't even want it but I know that God's going to work it out for my good. I know that through this, if I will just trust him, that God's going to work it out for not only me, but for my family and for so many other people. 
We talked last week, and if you were in our small groups, I asked the question, what does it, what does it mean to you to know that your faith can impact so many people? Think about Abraham and Sarah, that they trusted God, and it was counted as righteousness because just trusting in God meant that so many people, even the people sitting right here in the seats this morning, were impacted because of the faith they had. And that can be the case for you and your family and your family's family. On down the line to where they have to try and remember about great-great-grandpa so-and-so. Or great-great-grandma, so all I know is their name. But they had faith founders of the Eagle Community Church of Christ. Some of you, that's just sinking in, isn't it? (laughs) That you're here in this place right now as founders of a a church in a new location that potentially will affect people for years and even, even generations. And so what kind of attitude do you have about that? Are we stuck in all the ways that life hasn't gone our way? Are we able to say, God, I trust you in all the ways that you've brought me through before and all the ways I know you're going to do it again? The hardest decision uh, for me was trying to decide, all right, where are we going to go? When I had decided that we needed to move on from our last church, I had kind of hard-headed if y'all don't know that about me yet. (laughs) <laughs> Paul is surprised. That's good. <laughs> but I had decided we were going to move on, and, and it's still in that moment where I felt like God is finally releasing me from this. I wanted to stay and help and help, and I did. But at some point, you realize, okay, I've done all I can do. And I think it's time. The hardest thing was to let go and say, all right, God, I want to, I want to do this. I want to follow you with this. Now what? Where is this going to go? But the feeling that, uh, that was expressed in class and the, the, the feeling I would amen is that when you give that attitude over to God, what you experience is a peace. Now, you still, still may be frustrated at how long something takes or when is this going to open up. I prayed for clarity and open doors. You ever do that? Like, like It's kind of like a prayer like, God, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dull. Just make it clear. Put neon flashing lights, Lord. And when you pray for that and you really believe it and you trust in him, it's a lot easier to walk through that door. I said in class and told our small group on, uh, on Wednesday that one of the things that happened was right after we moved here, a job opened up in Katie's hometown with some of her friends, some of my friends. Her parents still live in that town. And we could have thought, oh, no. Just kidding, Eagle community, we're, uh, we're leaving. But because of giving that over to God and praying for clarity for months and months, and praying for open the door for us, in that moment we had peace because that wasn't for us. The timing wasn't right. We believed that God had opened the door and we had walked through it. There's no sense in walking back through it, Right? And I believe that's kind of what led Joseph's life here. I don't know where it's going. I don't know, Lord, how you're going to use it, but just just use me. I want to follow you. And then Joseph is able towards this part of his life to look back and say, man, y'all meant it for bad. Y'all meant it for evil. But God used it for good. 
And I bet if we opened up the mic this morning and just let everyone share their story, you would have similar story. Ways that you may have walked through a door, maybe you didn't want to, maybe it felt like, man, it's the only door I've got to take. But God was there for you. Because I don't think you'd be here otherwise. I don't think we'd be here if every time something came up that nothing good ever came from it. That you never saw the light at the end of the tunnel or like I shared several months ago and some of you amen, the Metallica song, light at the end of the tunnel is just a freight train coming your way. If that was, that was the case every time, I, Joseph may have felt like that. Yay, I'm out of slavery. Oh, no. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. That's not our story. God is our story. And what we see here and hopefully what we see throughout this story is that God is always there for us. Even in those moments where we're like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know when. I don't know when that building's going to sell. When are we going to close the land, Lord? First February, I think. But God, I trust you. Do you trust God this morning? Because we offer an invitation each and every week. We ask you to put on uh, Jesus in baptism, which is just a confession of faith. That I trust you to give my life to you, to, uh, to be baptized, showing that I am pledging my allegiance to you, Lord. That I can see that, that you're working in the world and that you're working for our good and that the whole upper story is that of God wanting to repair a relationship that was fractured so many years ago that God wants to live and walk and talk with each and every one of us. And at baptism, he says, I'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same gift that Jesus says, it is better that I go. Can you imagine his friends looking at him in the eye and him saying, it's better than I leave and that he come. That's what you get to experience as a child of God. That's one pledge to him. So why not start that this morning? If there's any reason that you'd love to, uh, to pray together, we'd love to do that. Uh, but if you need anything at this time, you come as we stand and sing.